This past week on October 13th, Skip Yowell, who was one of the founders of Jansport, passed away. Skip's impact on the outdoor industry was tremendous. Uh, I think everybody has had a Jansport pack on his or her back at one point. But Skip's impact on people, the people in the industry and anybody who really knew him, was maybe even more impressive I met Skip at Outdoor Retailer, uh, and it was funny. You could just tell that there were a bunch of people lingering around the Jansport booth just waiting to talk to Skip. We spoke with him over the phone for a Mountain Meister interview in July of 2014. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans, and welcome to the show. This is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today we have Skip Yowell. Skip is one of the founders of Jansport, the largest backpack maker in the world. Skip grew up in a small town in Kansas, and after a call from his cousin, moved to Seattle to chase his passion for the outdoors and start the company. He is the author of The Hippie Guide to Climbing the Corporate Ladder and Other Mountains, and travels around the world to share his passion with youth. Skip, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's great, uh, great to be on this interview. Hey, Skip. So you were one of the founders of Jansport, and congratulations on building such an amazing company in the outdoor industry. And just wanted to kind of highlight a few statistics for our listeners on Jansport. Back in 1985, the company sold its one millionth day pack. And then today, they're selling over six million packs per year. And so it's the biggest backpack company in the world. And it's just unbelievable. Very impressive. So today, Skip, we're going to be talking about your life in the outdoors and how this enormously successful business grew from that. So let's rewind back to when you were a kid. A small town in Kansas, that doesn't normally lead to an outdoorsy guy, does it? No, it doesn't. It's, uh, people are always amazed, especially since we started Jansport in Seattle. But, uh, you know, uh, actually Kansas, and I find beauty in any uh, state uh, here in the United States and wherever you travel and my family was really into the outdoors so I grew up camping and fishing and hunting and uh, hiking and traveling especially throughout the um, west with my family on vacations and later on would spend a couple summers with my cousin at a young age up in uh, Seattle where my mom was originally from. My parents were really good about pushing me out there a little bit and being independent. I rode a train back from Seattle when I was in the seventh grade. It took three days all by <laughs> myself. And uh, so, you know, those are all experiences that I think had a, a big impact later on, you know, that gave me confidence in uh, traveling and having a little adventure and feeling comfortable with uh, doing things on my own. Yeah, I grew up in a pretty outdoorsy place in northern New Hampshire near the the White Mountains is what they call them. There's some 6,000-foot mountains there, and 
Uh, it was great as a kid. I was growing up doing a lot of hiking, backpacking, but I rebelled a little bit as a kid, and I decided I didn't really want to do too much in the outdoors. But now I'm back, and and I'm really liking it now that I'm older. As a kid, what did you really like about being outside and having all these outdoor experiences? You know, one of the things uh, from um, swimming, I always enjoyed uh, swimming. So going to the uh, lakes. In fact, later on in high school. Uh, my uh, summer job was a lifeguard on this lake, and uh, my dad had us water skiing at a very young age, and we had a uh, boat, so uh, uh, water sports was always a big thing. But also camping on these big reservoir lakes here in Kansas, we would uh, set up that moldy Sears heavy canvas tent that was always a nightmare for 30 minutes to get it up, but then... Uh, we would, you know, build a fire and go fishing and uh, water skiing and uh, just uh, the outdoors. Even during the winter, we would go out on uh, Cheyenne Bottoms, which was only a few miles from our house. Cheyenne Bottoms is one of the largest inland wetlands for uh, migratory birds uh, pass through there in 470 species a year. It's quite a... Uh, Side, but we would ski on the uh, ice, skate on the canals, and build uh, bonfires. We'd take um, wooden slats from a barrel and take um, inner tube rubber and uh, make a uh, fitting of sorts and go out on a big hill out near um, <laughs> Giant Bottoms and ski down. So I even have some uh, some old. Eight millimeter film that my mom took to prove that was how crazy it was. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to see that. That's pretty interesting. You mentioned setting up this really heavy canvas tent back then when you, you knew it was such a pain to set it up. Did you say, "Hey, maybe when I'm a little bit older, I could make one of these a little better"? <laughs> or was it uh, a little later on in life when these ideas started to come about? Now, there's uh, the tent. Um, concept came later on actually from Murray Jan and I uh, having a trip a winter trip in the North Cascades so let's get into that a little bit later first we want to talk about so so you attend Wichita State University yes after Wichita State I went to Fort Hayes State University for uh, one year and uh, that year I learned to ski at a basin in uh, Colorado on different uh, breaks and yep. um uh, over spring break, I sold my books so I could afford a trip to Colorado, and, uh, <laughs> and me and two other guys, and uh, really enjoyed uh, skiing and decided that next summer I wanted to work up in the mountains in Colorado, so I got a summer job in uh, Estes Park, and um, through a uh, mentor that I got to know, climbed uh, Long's Peak in Colorado, so that was my... Um, first kind of exposure to uh, climbing. But then you get a call from your cousin, Murray. How did that transpire? So um, as I was looking to go back to school, he had received a uh, patent on a frame that he had designed at the University of Washington when he was majoring in industrial design. It was a frame. He won an award with Alcoa for best use of aluminum. This was a frame for backpacking, and Murray said, my dad has some extra space up above. I'd like to start a business, you know, that uh, fits a passion of what both of us like to do, and that's uh, 
you know, hiking and, and uh, backpacking and being in the outdoors. And so, um, so I made that uh, journey from there out to uh, Seattle, and uh, we started Jansport in that uh, my uncle's transmission shop, and um, needed somebody to sew the bags. And Murray was dating a girl who had a teaching degree, but there was too many teachers in Seattle. But she had a home sewing machine, and she was real good with patterns. And her name was Jan. And he said, Murray said, Jan, if you marry me, I'll name the company after you. <laughs> so that's where the uh, name Jansport came came from. And we were uh, uh, three long-haired hippies and uh, loved music and uh, started making uh, packs for backpackers and mountaineers. Really cool. So it sounds like you didn't really have a long-term plan, according to your book. You were kind of just going with the flow, and then you received this call, and then the rest is history. But is this something that you would recommend for people, or is this just something that worked for you And the fact that, you know, you hear something and go with it? Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes when I lecture at the college level, you know, I talk about not necessarily uh, getting the job with a big company and sitting in a cubicle. Mm-hmm. And maybe at a young age while you're, you know, able to to think about uh, traveling, think about maybe uh, a business you might want to start, uh, uh, maybe joining the Peace Corps for a couple of years, but having some experiences and doing things a little bit different to maybe hone in a little bit better on um, what you have a passion for and what you really would mm-hmm. enjoy uh, doing. And that's kind of my uh, and there was no long-term plan or even a, barely a short-term plan, but um, was to do something I really enjoyed, something I had a passion for, and something that I was going to have fun with. And uh, that still holds uh, true today. Did that ever freak you out? Because honestly, I sometimes get a little scared in not having a long-term plan. And I know that right now in my life, this is the time where I should be you know, pushing my boundaries, seeing what I love, exploring but I do get nervous. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like um, climbing in a sense. Um, you never want to uh, be too lackadaisical um, up in the mountains, uh, you know, and I think that's in everyday life. If you're a little bit uh, nervous, uh, that's okay. It keeps you maybe a little bit uh, sharper. I think that's uh, just a fair reaction. Let's just break down a little bit on, you know, back in the day when you started the business, you have all these backpacks. And nowadays, if we were to start a business, okay, we start making some products, we we get a Facebook page, we get all these social media <laughs> platforms, and we start kind of spreading the word. You know, we have these great products. How did you guys actually spread the word that you were making a backpack that was better than anything else out there? Yeah, it's, you know, and part of starting a business sometimes is a little bit of luck. And uh, our timing was really good. We were one of the early companies, really, that the backpacking trend was just starting to start with the young people. So we were there on the um, front end. But we were also very fortunate being in uh, Seattle. Our first two customers were um, REI, who had been a... um, in business since 1938 as a co-op of climbers. And then, of course, uh, Eddie Bauer, which was founded as a tennis and sports shop in downtown Seattle in about Mm -hmm. 1927. And so those were her first two customers, which obviously were 
were uh, gave us some great exposure, um, especially Eddie Bauer, which had a catalog, and um, and REI did too. But they, you know, shipped uh, all over the United States. So mm-hmm. even though we were very small, those two customers were um, very important in the uh, early days. But I would load up um, product in our. Uh, Jansport delivery van and go down to Portland and to Eugene and all the way down to Ashland, cross over to Klamath Falls, go up to Bend, Oregon, and go to Boise, Idaho, and uh, up to Sun Valley, back to Spokane, and then um, back to Seattle, you know, uh, showing product to the different primarily sporting goods stores in the early days and then the early 70s, and we started to develop across the U.S. Um, pure outdoor specialty stores. So at the time, you were going up, you are driving in your, in your van to transport these, and you were showing up at the store, and then you'd show the people the backpacks. And how important was the quality of the backpacks back then, or was it just that you needed something to, to get yourself up the mountain? Well, I'll, I'll jump in right there, too. And, Skip, I'll say I try not to suck up to our interviewees, but I will <laughs> say this, that as a kid, I would get a new backpack every school year. And for some reason, I think it was around sixth grade, I decided I didn't need a new backpack that backpack that I had at that time was a red Jansport, and I still have it. I've used it every year since then. I use it to transport ski boots. So you guys have committed yourself to quality. Question is, was that your purpose back then? Yeah, we have definitely a good question because we had um, actually uh, two purposes. We were really driven to make a uh, good product and uh, innovative product, actually, and uh, and then even in the early days, it wasn't all about the money, although you have to make money to survive, obviously, as a business. But our biggest uh, drive, and I think it was partly from my plate sports my whole life, being somewhat um, competitive, and is to make better product. And, um, and also, since we were big users, I mean, we tested our own product and... Um, so quality was an aspect uh, using the materials and the um, innovation. So one of our key successes early on was uh, we were very innovative. We had the frame, which was adjustable. You could fit different torsos. We made uh, uh, frame packs with that same adjustability for women and smaller people, which didn't exist. And then we uh, made a scout pack. I was a... Uh, Went through Boy Scouts growing up. I was an Eagle Scout and um, really appreciated um, what we could bring to the scouting community. And so along with that, we were the very first to put a zipper in a panel in a pack. Everything was kind of a rucksack Mm -hmm. uh, where you had top loading. So you had Kelty with their welded frame and their uh, rucksack top opening bag and Jansport came along with this adjustability, flexibility, nylon coil zippers that didn't freeze, the panel load. And so we had so many features and benefits that were um, truly better than what existed that early on uh, started to put us on the map. So the quality discussion leads me into my next question, which is this. Since I've been so happy with my Jansport 
I realize that I'm actually not helping your business at all. Yes, I'm wearing the brand, but I have not been a, a repeat customer since then. And this is a little peculiar, but you you hear in certain products like light bulbs and tires that the technology is out there to make of higher quality, but they don't do it because it's bad for business. Have there ever been any discussions like this in the backpack industry that you've heard of? Um, I don't. I can't speak for everybody else, but <laughs> not for uh, <laughs> Jansport. We really built the brand, making a quality product. We wouldn't be where we are today if we had done that. We're in fifty-nine countries now uh, worldwide, and that holds, you know, all around the world. But back in the early days, um, in the early seventies, maybe Mom would buy a day pack that really wasn't well constructed or good materials. The straps would pull out in two weeks and mm. the neighbor would say, well, you know, maybe you ought to buy, look at buying a dance board. It's going to be a little bit more, but it's going to last you and it's got a lifetime uh, warranty. So, mm-hmm. and today though, in the business, uh, to kind of the second part of your question, uh, you know, you never rest on your laurels. You're always, we're always understanding what, uh, uh, consumers are looking for. So we make packs today that uh, hold uh, iPads and computers and everybody's uh, electronics. Yeah. And so we make such a wide range of um, product, uh, urban travel, besides the mountaineering and backpacking signs. So we have, uh, you know, a wide offering that goes beyond your pack. <laughs> you know, you don't need a new one, which is okay. That brings a smile to my face, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> and I just I want to go back to something you said earlier when you were talking about how it was partly luck and is, is lucky that REI was there and Eddie Bauer was close by and you were able to actually get some distribution. But I also, when I was reading part of your book, you mentioned one of the key ways to have a successful business is to just work harder than everyone else. So that really resonated with me is that, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of luck, but for the most part, if you just work harder, then then you can eventually get to where you want to be, or maybe you get somewhere else that's even better. But do you remember any times where it was just you were working so hard that it was affecting your, your quality of life? You know, I just, uh, that's a good question. I probably don't get that one too often. <laughs> uh, you know, it's I was having such... Um, fun and doing such fun things and going out and using our product and uh, even though um, you know there's many hours sometimes there's weekends uh, all the factors that come into play on growing a uh, business um, I don't you know it really never did uh, affect me negatively and uh, even in recent years uh, at one point I go 10 26 weekends out of this year, I was somewhere around the world working. And, you know, I thought, boy, is that maybe too much? But on the other hand, I thought, gee, you know, I still enjoy it. I still uh, love seeing the new places and uh, the different people and uh, the different cultures. So it's uh, been very fortunate uh, from that standpoint. I, you know, credit my family uh, also, in a sense, growing up, uh, my dad and mom had a really good uh, work ethic, and, uh, you know, that those principles really uh, helped me early on, and uh, obviously through the, uh, uh, the Jansport uh, period. 
Yeah, and I'll just touch on one thing that Russell said about luck. And I think that the more opportunities that you give yourself, the higher your probability is of running into luck down the road. So I'm sure you've experienced that too, Skip. Yeah, that's you know that's a very good point actually because uh, the more experiences uh, you have, uh, your odds increase uh, mm-hmm. from that exposure definitely. So I think you know in some ways uh, individuals create their own luck of sorts, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've been uh, with JanSport from the beginning. What was your most exciting and favorite part of the growth of the business over the how many years has it been? Uh, it's been a while. Been forty-seven. Forty-seven <laughs> yeah. years. What, what were your, some of your favorite yeah. years? And I have a. I want to piggyback off of that because I had a question, which was, "Where's the coolest place you've taken a JanSport backpack?" So see if you can answer both of those. Uh, okay. Okay. The uh, the uh, the first one uh, I. Have to say honestly, when we developed the dome tent and uh, the immense success of that right off the bat, without any advertising or anything, was uh, a huge moment uh, that we're really um, excited about. Going to uh, Europe for the first time uh, to a big trade show in Munich, Germany, in 1980 was a real eye opener, and we were starting to sell. Um, Jansport internationally, and um, so that was just one of those, uh, you know, moments and times that uh, was uh, real exciting that we were now branching out of the uh, United States. Uh, one of my favorite places, I have so many, you know, when we went to uh, Bhutan, the little kingdom there in the Himalayas, uh, they only allowed 3,000 people in a year, oh, wow. it was like going back hundreds of years, and uh, that was just an extremely uh, special trip. As Tibet was for us in '84, we were the first Western team into um, Tibet, into Lhasa, and then into Everest Base Camp, and uh, that also was like going back. Uh, those are just a quick couple places. <laughs> I'm sure you've taken them many, many, many different places. So, Skip, we like to ask our guests to give our listeners a gear recommendation. And I don't think this is going to be a very difficult question for you because you have a whole line of backpacks named after you called the Skip Yala Collection. (laughs) But could you recommend our listeners one backpack or one piece of gear? Yeah, one piece of gear that I'd recommend, and one of them is in the Skip Yala Collection. It's called the... uh, Pleasanton, and uh, the Pleasanton kind of crosses a multi-use area. It can uh, work for your adventure travel uh, bag wherever you may go, but it can also work in your uh, everyday life commute to uh, work. And um, so it's got kind of a multi-use. It's really not pigeonholed um, into one particular uh, category. So it's, and it's, and the quality on it and the materials and everything, the bag will last longer than I'll be alive. So it's, uh, so it's definitely a little bit on the expensive side, but it's worth uh, what we put into it. But we also we have so many other bags, too, that mm-hmm. uh, I, I could go on and on. Having your own backpack line named after you, 
Is this something that you get to choose all the different names of the backpack? Do you feel like you just have ultimate control over this, or do you guys have your own uh, backpack name? I, I've heard the, a lot of different interesting convention. backpack names, so <laughs> I was curious. Yeah, when we first came out with them, and some of them are not in the line, the uh, marketing uh, department uh, wanted to name them after cities I'd lived in. <laughs> so I gave, gave them a whole list of names, and uh, then... Uh, that's where that line came from, and now it's it's changed uh, uh, a little bit to not just places where I lived. You know, they have to run names through uh, legal for trademarks and other reasons. Mm -hmm. So some of them stick, some of them don't. It's um, but uh, you know, I always tell people, um, and just like even the Skip Yow collection, Jansport's just not Skip. It's a lot of great people. We have a lot of great young people, and uh, we just have a lot of really good talent throughout the company. But we've always made it a fun place to work. I've been very uh, fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of great people over all the years. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for the recommendation for the backpack. We'll put that right on our website, on your Meister profile, our website, mtnmeister.com. And to kind of wrap this whole interview up, since you've had so much success in the business world, we're hoping you could give our uh, future business owners maybe a little insight on where to take the next step. So if you were a new company in the outdoor industry today, what would be some of the first steps you would make to really have a successful business in the outdoor industry? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing I think is really important is as you have your uh, product and let's say you know it's a backpacking uh, mountaineering type product is to really focus in and spend a lot of time on the product itself and um, make sure that uh, functions the way uh, you intended to uh, function in some cases if you have the opportunity and you can get a patent on it that is definitely uh, something uh, to consider and uh, invest in and, um, you know, let uh, some other people try the product. Um, and then at that point, put together a business plan and to really understand what you're going to need, where it's going to take you. And I think that's one of the uh, areas that a lot of people fail. They say, well, my neighbor will buy it. And, uh, well, how much will the neighbor pay? You know, is it, uh, what is it going to cost you? How are you going to manufacture it? Where are you going to sell it? And um, by putting that business plan together, um, it'll give you a, a broader focus on, you know, how that company might uh, succeed and be successful and what you're going to need to uh, get it off the ground. Yeah, great advice, Skip. And thank you so much for joining us on the show. Russell and I really appreciate your time. For our listeners, as Russell mentioned before, you can see Skip's Meister profile page on our website. So, Skip, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. And I uh, hope you guys have uh, future adventures in your life. Just have fun with it. Excellent. Great. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to our conversation with Skip Yowell. That was recorded in July of 2014. Skip passed away on October 13th, 
2015. Skip was integral in the founding of the Outdoor Recreation Coalition of America, which is now Outdoor Industry Association. Also a huge donor to Big City Mountaineers, who takes underserved urban youth to outdoor wilderness expeditions. Skip Yowell dead at 69, but his legacy will live on.